It is our privilege to bring to you the following message, supported by the gifts and love offerings of the people of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. This message was recorded during our normal Sunday morning service times. Pastor Rick Foster is serving as our interim senior pastor here at Rancho Baptist Church. Phil Rick is still in his series in the book of Ruth, and today he's looking at chapter 4, verses 1 through 12, in a sermon he's entitled, Eat My Dust. Here's Rick. To begin this morning, I feel like I have a confession I need to make to you all, and that is I failed to tell the elders when we moved here that I was not a fan of NASCAR, nor am I really a big fan of drag racing or monster truck rallies. Now, Brad, if that just totally upsets everything, you and I can talk about this after the service, but I am interested in four-wheel drive cross-country racing like the Baja 1000 that they have every November uh, just south of us. If you've ever watched that on TV, you know it's man and machine against the rugged desert terrain. Um, And one of the things that fascinates me about that specific race, or cross-country race, is that in the desert conditions in which it's run, it creates this enormous cloud of dust that is so thick, the vehicles and the drivers have to have a special breathing system just to be in the race. So the leader gets to enjoy clean, fresh air, and everybody else that follows disappears from sight in this billowing cloud of dust. And that's where we get the cliché, eat my dust. So the leader out front creates it. Everybody else that's behind him eats it. (laughs) And in race conditions like at the Baja, it's really easy to find the leader. Just see the cloud of dust, and he's out at the front edge of it, creating it. And so what is true in off-road racing is also true in life. That there are men and women of high caliber, leaders who are worthy of being heroes and and to be models for us. And you know, the majority of them do not have celebrity status in the eyes of the world. But it's easy to spot them by the cloud of dust they're creating. So they're just quietly going about their lives. They're not content to hang with the crowd at all. And they're willing, they really are willing to have you join them up front where the air is clean and and fresh, but it's going to demand something deep inside of us to come out. Otherwise, we'll just eat their dust. And such a man is Boaz. Grab your Bibles. Turn, if you would, to Ruth chapter 4. Because Boaz is a man worth watching carefully and emulating closely because something powerful is revealed through his life while he's in the driver's seat in this chapter 4. Now notice, as you have your Bibles open to Ruth chapter 4, verse 1 begins with the word now, or in some of your translations, it's, it's meanwhile which alerts us to the fact that really there's, this is probably not a great place to have a chapter division because this is just a continuation of what's happened in the last chapter. Now, as we come to chapter 4, though, all the other characters that we've been watching have now moved off to one side of the stage, and Boaz is basically in the spotlight. 
And everything that occurs now in these next 12 verses is all going to be at his initiative. And so on this particular morning, he begins by setting the stage. Notice this in verse 1 and verse 2. Boaz leaves the threshing floor where he had this conversation with Ruth and where he had slept by his grain pile, and he goes to the gate of the city. Okay, why does he go there? Well, because that's where any business or judicial matters were conducted in that day. You need to understand that the gate of the city was the lawyer's office, the boardroom, the title company, the courtroom, all rolled up into one. So any transaction of any importance was never done in private. It was always done in public for everybody to hear and watch and know what was happening. Now, if you notice in the opening verses of chapter 4, there's one word that keeps getting repeated over and over and over and over again, and that's the word, sit down. Boaz, at his initiative, is gathering together all the participants that are important for a transaction to occur. Now, again, it's morning, which means it's morning rush hour. Maybe not as bad as I-15 going south, but it's still morning rush hour, and the possible kinsman redeemer for Ruth and Naomi is going to be walking out of the city that morning. So Boaz just waits for him and asks him to take a seat. Then Boaz asks ten of the elders of the city to also witness this transaction, and will you sit down and watch what's now going to occur? Now, don't miss the initiative that Boaz is taking here. He is steadily arranging all the pieces, putting it all together, and notice this is in complete contrast to last chapter. Again, just some contrast between chapter 3 and chapter 4. Chapter 3, you had a lot of passivity at, at night, uh, here in chapter 4, beginning in the morning, it, there's a lot of action going on. In chapter 3, it was a very private setting. Remember, very dark, no one was around. Chapter 4 is a very public setting. In chapter 3, there was a tentative spirit. There was a probing spirit. There was an exploring kind of a spirit. Whereas in chapter 4, it's very purposeful, very direct. Chapter 3, you might say it was a, let's see what happens. Chapter 4 is, it's time to act. Notice the contrast between these two chapters. Because as Naomi, at the end of chapter 3, correctly mentions, chapter 3, verse 18, Boaz is not going to rest until the matter is settled. And now we get to watch what happens. So once the stage is set, everybody has sat down in the right places, Boaz then explains the issues. What are they? Well, starting in verse 3, he mentions... That with the death of all the men in her family, Naomi now has some land that she wants to sell. That purchase, or whoever purchases it, that purchase price will keep the land in the family, the larger extended family, and will give Naomi then the financial security that she needs. And so verse 4 begins with Boaz saying, So I thought I would tell you of it. Interesting, that whole English phrase, I thought I would tell you of it, is literally just one Hebrew word that says, I want to uncover your ears. In other words, it's a way of saying, let me acquaint you with some of the facts that are going on. And so Boaz points out that this man is the closest relative to Naomi, so he has first right of refusal. 
Boaz is next in line after him. So in asking for a decision, Boaz is settling the issue. He wants to know what this other man's intentions will be, and then Boaz will then act if necessary. Well, what do we see? Look at verse 4. The other man is willing. Verse 4, he says, I will redeem it. So he agrees to redeem the land. But there's one further consideration that Boaz now mentions. In verse 5, notice he says, With the land purchase comes the necessity of taking Ruth as a wife to raise up a son to continue the family name. In other words, stapled behind the title deed is a marriage certificate. Hmm. That changes everything. Boaz has set the stage. He's explained the issues. Now he takes responsibility from verse 6 to verse 12. Because at the news that Ruth is part of the overall package, that first closest kinsman redeemer begins to backpedal. Look at at verse 6. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Okay, now look back at earlier. In the English Standard Version that I teach and preach from, it says, I, uh, lest I impair. That word impair means to endanger. So the man is foreseeing the possibility that if a son was born to he and Ruth, that that would put at risk the passing of his own estate to his own children, which tells us a couple of things. One, the man is married, but he doesn't have a son yet. So having a son with Ruth would place that son over any potential future children or future sons that he would have, and the risk to his own family, passing down his inheritance to his own kids, outweighs his taking care of Naomi and Ruth. So in verse 7, the man handles over, hands over his sandal. No signatures. You hand over your sandal. Interesting tradition. Handing over the sandal says, okay, this is my visible expression. You have the right to purchase the land. Why a sandal? Because it symbolizes you have the right now to walk on that land as its owner. So all the eyes have been on the, the, that kinsman redeemer. Now everybody in the crowd now turns and looks over at Boaz because the ball's now back in his courts. Boaz didn't know what the other guy would do. He's next in line. Now what will he do? Verse 9. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and to Malin. And also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malin, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses to this day. Are you a witnesses this day? Don't miss that there's absolutely no hesitation by Boaz. He didn't set up this meeting in order to probe or to investigate his options in order to give further consideration of the matter. No. Boaz knew what he would do. He just didn't know what the other kinsman redeemer would do. So Boaz, he's declaring himself, I'm all in. I am all in. 
And in response to that, verse 11 and verse 12, all those in the audience then pronounce upon this act that they've just witnessed a threefold blessing. Notice, first of all, they ask God for Ruth to be fruitful and to bear a son. Second, they ask God to make Boaz famous. Third, they ask God to bless the family line. And by the way, next week, we're not taking all of chapter 4 today, just the first 12 verses. Next week, we are going to look at the amazing way that God answers these prayers. And it will absolutely amaze you, even if you think you know the end of the story. Mm. So be here next Sunday. Now, let me ask you a question. As we work our way through these, these events that, we, that are recorded in verses 1 to 12, doesn't a smile break out on your face? Why? I mean, why do we have the reaction to the story is, yay, this is so cool, this is good. I mean, what is it about this story that is so appealing and it brings such a satisfying feeling on the inside of us? Well, you may have a hard time putting your finger on it, but our instinctive reaction is due to the truth of what has just happened here and what's just unfolded in front of us. Because Boaz is out in front. His dust cloud is clearly evident. And our joy comes from seeing the truth that the act of redemption powerfully changes any story. The act of redemption powerfully changes any story. Now, this is a good time for some review. Let's kind of back up and take a running start at this for a moment here. Up to this point, Naomi and Ruth have been recovering from some very brutal events in their lives. We all remember that over these last couple of weeks. It's been so brutal that though they they are now surviving, that's all they're doing is just surviving. And their story through the first three chapters of this book could simply be a tale about hurting people being given charity. Something like, well, hey, glad you're back home, Naomi. Ruth, by the way, if if you feel free to glean in my field, if that will help you keep it together. That's really all that we've seen up until this point. But what Boaz does here in chapter 4 is inject into this story the breathtaking experience of redemption. And Naomi and Ruth's story from now on will never, ever be the same because of what Boaz did for them. And my friends, what is true for them here in Ruth 4, 1 to 12, is true for us. Each of our stories this morning, regardless of where you are in it, has the potential to be profoundly altered by the experience of redemption. Which means it's crucial to understand then what Boaz did. It's crucial to understand what redemption is all about. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to unpack this concept of kinsman-redeemer and how redemption can work to powerfully change a person's life and story. Now, you know, the, the picture of redemption, because you all are, have, been, have, have been taught well in this church. The picture of redemption is that of a person who is enslaved, a person who is in bondage. And in that position, there is absolutely nothing they can do. They do not have the resources to offer to free them from this 
position of bondage that they are in. Then in the act of redemption, a third party steps in, comes along, and by an act of extravagant grace, for no reason whatsoever, pays the purchase price and sets the person in bondage free. And these first 12 verses of chapter 4 reveal to us that there are three powerful ingredients in in this understanding of what redemption is all about. Three ingredients that literally they blend together to form the explosive, story-changing power of redemption. These ingredients are at work in what Boaz did for Naomi and Ruth. But do you remember back about a month now, the very first sermon in the series on Ruth? That the story here is just part of God's larger story of what he's doing in the Bible. And what was that? Boaz is simply a precursor to what Jesus did and still does to change our stories today. So let's look at each one of these ingredients, each one of these three ingredients individually, and then we'll, we'll, we'll blend them all together. So first, redemption changes a person's story because it ransoms paying a price we could never afford. Let's look at the text. Again, we remember, Naomi and Ruth had nothing. (laughs) No resources whatsoever at their disposal that could change their situation. And unless someone else acted on their behalf, nothing was ever going to change for them. And that's what Boaz did. He's that third party that comes in as the kinsman redeemer. He pays the necessary price. And that's why in Ruth chapter 4, you'll notice the emphasis is always on who's going to buy. Who's going to buy? What's being bought? See, a price is being paid. Redemption, that's where it starts. A price is being paid. And what Boaz does, or what he did, is exactly what Jesus Christ does for us. Because it may not look like it, but we are in the exact same position as Naomi and Ruth. We don't have the resources to change our status. Oh, yeah, we look good on the outside. But our debt position is not very apparent, but it's very real and it's there. How many of us know, down deep in our hearts, that we're living some kind of embondaged type life existence, that we really are enslaved? Paul says in Romans chapter 7 that it feels like this, I am sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want, I do. And this I keep on doing. Wow, what a... In just a few sentences, he encapsulates that feeling of bondage and slavery of something that's going on inside of us that I can't get away from. And as our Redeemer, Christ pays the necessary price to set us free from that bondage. But folks, do not ever forget the high price that was necessary to be paid. 1 Peter chapter 1, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold, which is what Boaz paid, 
that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but it was with the precious blood of Christ. Mark chapter 10, verse 45, For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a what? Ransom for many. Again, chapter 4, Boaz didn't staff it out. (laughs) He came to the gate personally to pay the price. So does our Heavenly Father. He showed up personally in His Son. He entered our world came to the cross. That's where the price was paid. His life for my life. And folks, that's where redemption begins. Redemption can powerfully change a person's story by ransom. A price was paid I could never afford. That in itself is worthy of a whole sermon. But we still have two more ingredients. Let's add them in. Second ingredient to add in. Again, it's a powerful mixture here. So hang on. Redemption can change our story. Second, because it rescues. It solves a problem I could never fix. Okay, back to chapter 4, verses 1 to 12. Remember, Naomi and Ruth had lost their husbands. The family line was in danger of disappearing. They were indigents with no hope of their situation ever changing. They had lost everything. That was important to them. Every single one of us has lost something very important. Only we may not be sure what it is, where it went, or how to get it back. All we know is that what was lost crops up in feelings of shame that we can't face, a nagging sense of guilt that we won't, that won't go away, a fearful recognition that there's something inside of us that's out of control, this insatiable drivenness that I've got something to prove, and all because of stuff we've done or stuff we've failed to do. There's hints there of something's been lost. In chapter 4, Boaz powerfully steps in and says, I'm in a position to rescue. And folks, that's not only what Jesus said, that's what Jesus did for us. In, one of the, in the most important rescue that there is to, to experience, he came to offer the shame-ridden, the guilt-burdened, the helplessly out of control, absurdly driven person. He offers forgiveness. Forgiveness. Colossians chapter 1. For He, Christ, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the Forgiveness of sins. Ephesians chapter 1. In Him, Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Luke chapter 19 and verse 10. Out of his, Jesus' own mouth, He says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. The act of redemption can powerfully change our story because it offers full and complete forgiveness. No more haunting past. No more skeletons in the closet. Rather, a sense of rescue because my heart has found at last the forgiveness it has so desperately wanted and needed. 
I just know, didn't know where to go find it. It's, it's there for us in Christ. So redemption can change our story because it ransoms, paying the price I could never afford. It also rescues, solving a problem I could never fix. Let me give you a third ingredient to chew on this morning. As if those two are not enough for us. There's a third one, though. Let's add it in. And that is redemption restores, bringing a position I could never achieve. Naomi and Ruth, the start of chapter 4, still poor, still defenseless, still alone, still widowed. And what powerfully happens when Boaz acts as their kinsman, redeemer. You come to verse 12 and life now. There's provision, there's protection, there's a husband, they're in a family once again. Life's been restored to these dear ladies. And folks, that's what Jesus puts on the table for us. Only His idea of restoration is bringing us back into a family. His family. And in bringing us back into that family, it introduces us once again to a quality of life which God intended for us to originally have, only it's been damaged by sin. We get to have that life back. Galatians chapter 4, Paul says, We were in slavery, but when the set time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. You are His sons. We're family now. Or one that God's been working my heart over on is 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us? that we should be called children of God, and so we are. And being given that new position of being in the family, it also changes my experience of life. My friend Bruce last Sunday mentioned John 10.10, where Jesus says, I have come and may have life and have it abundantly, or have it to the full. Jesus came to give his life for mine. The necessary price to rescue me so that I could have life. No longer life with just a lowercase l, but life with a capital L. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. Or from Jesus' own mouth in John 5, I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes me, or believes him who sent me, has eternal life and will not be condemned, but is crossed over from death to life. Wow. Redemption has such a powerful way of changing anybody's story that all through the history of man, the stories that impact us that are not in the Bible reflect this. One of the ones that's so powerful for me 
is in the book, but also in the movie, Les Miserables. As you know, the main character is Jean Valjean, a former convict. And the story begins as he has just been released from 20 years in prison, but he's got nothing. Yeah, he has served his sentence, but the punishment continues as his past and his wounds on the inside haunt him and keep him in bondage. And in that early part of the movie, he is given hospitality by a priest one night. And yet early the next morning, Valjean is in the act of stealing all the silver in the house when, he, when the priest confronts him. And he, he knocks the, the priest down and knocks him out. And then he flees only to be caught by the police a couple hours later. They bring him back to the priest and they bring the sack with the stolen silver with him. And Valjean faces the priest who surprisingly, my folks, kicks up a cloud of redemptive dust. Remember what that conversation between the two of them? You know the story. The priest asks Valjean, why did you leave the candlesticks? And Valjean is dumbstruck. He goes, what? Why did you leave the candlesticks when I gave you all the silver? At this, the police are now dumbfounded. And they said, you mean he didn't steal them? And the priest says, no, they were given. So the police unlock his handcuffs. They're dismissed. The maid goes inside to get the candlesticks. And as the priest puts them in Valjean's sack, he says, or Valjean asks, why are you doing this? And the priest says, listen carefully, Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil. With this silver I have bought your soul. I've ransomed you from fear, from hatred, and now I give you back to God. The act of redemption powerfully changed Valjean's story. He was never the same, if you've ever read the book or seen the movie. The act of redemption powerfully changed Naomi and Ruth's life. They were never the same. My friends, Jesus' act of redemption can powerfully change your story this morning. You'll never be the same. Ever. Because it can ransom. It can rescue. It can restore. You'll never be the same. Let's pray about it. Father, what can we say but thank you? And those words are just so inadequate. Thank you. Not only for Boaz's powerful example, but the powerful movement of coming into our world through Jesus Christ, your son. And Father, this morning there may be some here who have never, ever looked at that act of redemption and made it personal for themselves. And yet this morning's the time for that to occur. Some here may want to reach out for that which was lost, for the first time realizing where it went and how it can come back. It comes back by faith, trusting that what happened historically on that cross now over 2,000 years ago in the life of your son dying in my place, that a ransom was paid, 
a rescue was achieved. Restoration is now possible. Father, for those that in their hearts right here this morning are yearning for that, meet with them right here, right now in this place. And may they just simply quietly, silently before you, just pray out loud, Lord, I need that redemptive act in my life this morning. Would you come, please, and change my story by the power of Jesus Christ? Father, some of us who have known you a long time need the experience of redemption again this morning. Sin has has maybe found its way back in, in ways of our choices, our actions, our lack of action. And we need to once again come and cling to the cross and once again say, Father, I need to come and may your redemptive work powerfully change my story. Lord, you know where each of us are. You know the deepest needs of our hearts. You know how we're crying out to you in so many ways right this very moment. May our stories never be the same because the choices we make before you right here in this very place. Come. Come. Ransom. Renew. Restore. Do your powerful work, we ask. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for being with us today. It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. And here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www.ranchobaptistchurch.com. That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org Have a great day in the Lord and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.